Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you. We would love to hear how God used it in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, we are continuing a series that we've been in in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and what a helpful series this has been. And we'll uh, do some recap in just a minute, but I just want to ask you today as we kind of get started, have you ever had to learn how to deal with a seven-year-old? Have you ever tried to reason with a seven-year-old? I, uh, or, you know, you try to discuss something maybe not a seven-year-old, but with somebody who just is not understanding what you're saying. I have a friend that I called this week, and I said, hey, how you doing, man? And he just said, well, I'm trying to reason with a seven-year-old. I'm trying to reason with, a, with his, my son about how that when a mom and dad take something away from their child, it's not stealing, but he's not getting it. I know I was talking with Hannah about times of reasoning with our kids, and Micah, he's 12 now, but when Micah was about four and five years old, uh, we we began to tell this this boy's a thinker. He just thinks through everything, analytical, just thought through everything, and we we would tell our kids, as many of you probably taught yours, listen, God wants to hear you pray. God wants you to pray, and so we would tell them, you can pray to God for anything, Pray to God for anything. And so Micah, he, he began thinking about this and his little mind. I, I don't know how long he was thinking about it. I mean, months. He came up one day and he was, he was just crying his eyes out. His heart broken. And Hannah, she said, Micah, what, what is wrong? He said, Mom, you said God will answer prayer. And God hasn't answered my prayer. And just, you know, just as a little four or five, six-year-old boy would, I don't remember how old he was. God hasn't answered my prayer. She said, well, well Micah, what, what, what's your prayer? I've been praying that God would give me superpowers, and I just don't have them yet. <laughs> and she, she said, well, Micah, honey. <laughs> the next part's the funniest. She, she said, Micah, honey, God, that, that's, it's not really how it works. Um, God's not going not, to, he, he's not going to just give you a superpower like, like, like Superman or, or something you might see. And he said, but why? I'll use it for him. <laughs> and she began to try to reason with a seven-year-old. And there's probably just not a lot of reasoning going on. You know, unfortunately, we all have probably been in that situation, maybe not with a child, but we've all dealt with people. We've all tried to reason with people when maybe they just weren't getting what you were saying. We've all tried to, uh, Danny brought up a little bit ago, influence people, and every one of us have influence. And whether we're influencing coworkers at work or people, uh, friends from the neighborhood or our family, we all have to deal with these things called relationships. We all deal with friendships. We all learn to deal with people. One man said it a long time ago, life would be great if it wasn't for people. Life would be great if it wasn't for people. 
You know why? Because the truth of the matter is this, that every single one of us, we have to learn how to deal with people. We've got to learn how to deal with those around us, even if it's a seven-year-old or someone thinking like a seven-year-old that's just not connecting the dots. We've got to learn to deal with people. As we come to the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going through a series where Paul, he, he, was, uh, he was a great, uh, at one time, Paul was a great persecutor of the church. He was very much against Christianity. He was very much against people coming to know Christ as Savior. But Paul came to know Christ in his own life, and he turned to God, and, and he became one of the greatest preachers of the gospel. And Paul would be one that he was a church planter. He went around and started churches in various towns and cities. And, and he took, as a matter of fact, three church planting trips where he traveled all over uh, modern day Europe and, and uh, Israel and Rome and all of that, traveling around and starting churches. And one of the towns, one of the cities, one of the metropolitan cities that he came to was the town of Corinth, the city of Corinth. If you've been with us in our series, then you'll recall a few things about the city of Corinth. Corinth was a very profitable city. Corinth was a very well-known city. Corinth was a great city of trade and commerce. Corinth was a city that was uh, well-located. If you remember, it was on that isthmus. It was on just that little four-mile stretch that separated the east from the west. And because of its location, man, hundreds of thousands of people would come there on a, on a yearly basis. The population at the time of, of this letter and of the time of Paul being there is estimated to be at four to 500,000 people that would live in the, the area, the region around Corinth. Corinth was a place that boasted of all the amenities. It had everything to offer. It was a place that you could move there. And in, in this time, it was difficult anywhere to do it. But in Corinth, it was simple. You could move there and move from ruin to riches within one generation. It was a well-protected city. But we've also discovered that Corinth had a dark side. And I'm not talking about Star Wars. <clears throat> Corinth, as one man put it, it was a morally bankrupt city. It was a city filled with debauchery and wickedness. In Corinth, we see it on the picture. Of course, they had the Agora, which was a shopping center. At the time, the world's largest shopping mall, the world's largest market. But Right just outside of the city of, of Corinth was the Acropolis. The Acropolis, it was a mountain that was known for fortification for war, but upon that mountain and uh, on the hills of that mountain set the temple for the goddess of Aphrodite. As a matter of fact, this was one of 11 known temples that they have on record being in Corinth. Corinth was mixed up in who to worship. Corinth was mixed up in all a bunch of false gods. But the greatest of these was Aphrodite, the goddess of love. We would say the goddess of lust. And in order to make money for the temple, we've highlighted a few of these things. But in order to make money for the temple, they had a thousand slave girls that would be used as temple prostitutes. It was really just sex trafficking at its highest. You say, Pastor, why do you bring that up here on a Sunday morning? Because it was a very immoral place. The, the worship of the, uh, the goddess Aphrodite, it had gotten into the city, and the whole city had become just a place of, of debauchery and a place where, as a matter of fact, in that day and age, in the Roman theater, 
if they really wanted to make fun of somebody, if they really wanted to, to hurt someone's feelings and really wanted to degrade someone or shame someone, they would call them a Corinthian. You're just a Corinthian. That was in Roman theater, but then it began to be just in, out in public, anywhere. Man, if someone cut you off, you know, as you were driving your chariot down Main Street, someone cut you off, you would yell, you Corinthian! You'd shake your fist at them. <clears throat> it was just a put down. It was a shame. What does that tell us? That tells us that Corinth was a crazy place to be. Well, Paul, remember we talked about Paul a minute ago. He was a preacher of the gospel. He ended up in Corinth. He lived there for 18 months and he started a church. He, he told people about Jesus Christ and how they could know that heaven is where they would spend eternity and, and hundreds and thousands, hundreds or thousands of people were coming to know Christ and this church was beginning to grow. And Paul spent some time there, but then he left. After Paul left, he heard that the church was not doing well. He heard that the church was living more like Corinth the, the Corinth around them than they were the Christ within them. That the church, they, they were missing that, man, when you trust Christ as Savior, God makes all things new. And, and he doesn't just give you a list of, of do's and don'ts. No, God gives you new purpose and God gives you love and God gives you grace and mercy for you to claim and strength for you to have each and every day. And, and, and the church was missing that. And so because of that, they were allowing themselves just to go back to their old lives. And that sin of the city was just falling into the church. And so Paul, he wrote back to them one letter. We don't have a copy of that letter. It's addressed in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and, and 2 Corinthians. But we do have a copy of the second letter that Paul wrote. That's what we hold in our hands as the book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians. It's a letter written from Paul to the people of Corinth to help them continue to follow God. And today we're coming to a part in the passage where Paul is going to help them learn how to deal with people, how to deal with people. You see, because the Corinth church, they were having a big struggle because of their pride. Now that's a word we probably don't use very much because we don't like to admit that every one of us deal with pride. Every single person in here can be a proud person. Every single person in here, we can put our foot down. Why is a seven-year-old hard to deal with and to reason with? Often it's because they just don't want to get past their little pride. Why is a 74-year-old hard to deal with sometimes? Because they just don't want to get past their pride. Why is a 37-year-old hard? You get the picture. Every single one of us, we have pride that we deal with in our life. And we have to move past our pride if we're really going to learn how to deal with people. You see, their pride, first the church at Corinth, their pride had caused them to fight amongst each other. And they were saying like, I'm a better Christian because I know Paul. Well, I'm a better Christian because I know Apollos. Apollos was a great preacher of the time. Well, I'm a better Christian because I know Peter. Well, I'm a better Christian because, and they were just arguing over this. And Paul writes back to them and says, hey, stop it. Just stop it. You're missing what God has for you. And as we continue our study this morning, we're going to discover Paul helping them understand that I'm going to help you deal with pride in your life because that'll help you deal with people around your life. 
I invite you to look at the Bible with me this morning. If you would, stand with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're just going to go through the first seven verses. Just the first seven verses. We're going to get into this passage. Take a few minutes and dissect some things and then apply it to us and, and we'll get to lunch. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 1. It says this, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of a man's judgment. Yea, I, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who, will both, who, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. And he will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hadst not received it. If you were to just do a surface casual reading over these verses, you might be confused. Man, what is going on? But this morning, we're going to learn just from these few verses, a few principles to help us in dealing with people, dealing with our own pride so that we might deal with the people around us, and understanding that every single person, every single one of us, we have to get past ourselves if we're really going to be effective in the lives of those around us. And I hope that this will be a help to us. And so let's pray. We'll get right into the word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the truth that it contains. And Lord, I pray that as we go through the word this morning that you would help us. I pray, God, that you would speak to me. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge me. And I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us to choose to listen to you. And God, I pray if there's someone here that they do not know that heaven is where they would spend the eternity, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust completely in you. We love you, God. We thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. I say this often here at church, but the phrase context matters. We have to know what's going on in the passage in order to know what's going on in the passage. We have to know what's taking place around it. And if you and I were to go back just a few pages or really just a few verses, we would learn that Paul, as he's speaking to the believers at Corinth, he's trying to help them understand that you guys are arguing over status and you're arguing over association. You think one person is better than another, but I, I want to bring to you, this is what Paul is saying, I want to bring to you the thought that everything is level at the ground of the cross, that the ground of the cross is level. What does that mean? Hey, listen, in God's eyes, in God's eyes, it's not one person better than another. In God's eyes, he loves 
the world. God loves creation. He loves you and he loves the person next to you just the same. And I say it often, but there's, uh, God will never love you any more or any less than he does right now. And yet these people at Corinth, they were just arguing back and forth, arguing over who was better, arguing over who had a better status, who had better association. And, and Paul in chapter three, he gives them three illustrations to help them understand who we all really are in Christ when we've received Christ and, and what we have. He said, hey, number one, we are just, the word was uh, ministers or table waiters. Hey, we're just servants. We're just table servers. We, we don't matter. We're, we don't own the restaurant. We don't cook the food. We're just table servants serving God. Then he says, we're, we're just farmers. We're just gardeners. Some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. And we likened that, if you were here last week, to a plant, to farming, to gardening. Those of us here, I know there's some smart people here. We have some farmers in here this morning. They could probably tell you some great tips about growing crops, but no farmer here can, can cause photosynthesis to take place. No farmer here can make the sun help the, help the ground be what it needs and have the nutrients it needs and the water be in the ground and have the nutrients that the plant needs. No one here can do that. No, God does that. God gives the increase. And so Paul wrote to the church, hey, you think you're all big and high and mighty and you keep arguing over these things. You're, you're just a planter and you're just, a, you're just one's a waterer. And without God on the farm, we're just hole diggers, mudslingers. There's, there's nothing that takes place. So you're just a table server. You're just a farmer. And then he gave lastly the illustration that you're a builder. You're a builder. Man, construction, you have many jobs at the same goal. You've got an architect that gave plans, but then that general contractor just helps lead people in building. And so Paul writes, hey, we're just builders. Now, why was he doing that? Because he's trying to make it a level playing field. <clears throat> when you come then to chapter four, Paul says that very first phrase, let a man so account of us as ministers of God. You say, Pastor, what, what's, what's Paul doing? What is he getting at? Paul is trying to help them understand and help us understand today that our pride can lead to competition. It can lead to me saying I'm better than you and trying to have the upper hand. But if we're really gonna make an impact in people around us, we've gotta understand that I am nothing except for what God is in my life. I'm nothing except for what God is in me. You and I have nothing except for what God given to us. And what Paul does over the next few verses is he helps these believers and us understand a few lessons to help us deal with ourselves and deal with those around us. I want you to notice these lessons with me very quickly this morning. Number one, if we're going to deal with people, make an influence in people the way we should, we've got to remember our responsibility. Remember who we are. Look at verse number one where Paul says this, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We've already seen that word minister meaning table servant, but in this verse, the word minister, it actually means under rower, under rower. Now, what is an under rower? Well, if you can imagine one of those big ships with slaves or servants rowing in the bottom, that's what Paul compares himself to. I'm just a servant 
rowing in the big ship. I'm just an under rower. I don't have status. I don't have clout. I don't have anything. No, let a man so account of us as under rowers. What Paul is simply saying in this, he's saying, I pray that your opinion of us would be to simply look at us as servants of Christ, servants or under rowers of Christ. I don't have status. I don't have uh, anything to claim to be better than others around me. No, I am just a simple servant. And Paul writes to them and he's saying, you're arguing over things that that don't matter. You're arguing over status and association. You're arguing over claims that, that really are not yours to argue over. No, you're just a servant. Hey, remember your responsibility. You're a servant. What else am I? I'm a steward. What is a steward? A steward is an overseer. Think about flying on an airplane. Many of you have flown before and you have stewards and stewardesses. They don't own the plane. They don't fly the plane. They don't do a lot about the plane except for serve within the plane. During this time, of course, their mind would not go to a steward or a stewardess on an airplane. Their mind would go to a steward or a servant in a house, kind of like a butler. A butler does not own the house. A butler doesn't own the goods. A a butler, a steward, just manages the goods. You know why Paul writes about this is he's trying to simply get across the picture that in this life, we are servants of God and we are stewards of what God gives us. We are servants of God. We are stewards of what God gives us. And as you and I go through this life, one of the best things to help us deal with our pride and deal with people in our relationships is get our eyes off of people and back onto our responsibility. Well, what's my responsibility? Well, today I have an opportunity to be a servant of Christ. Today I have an opportunity to serve God. Today I have an opportunity uh, to manage this life the way God would have me to. And our priority is toward God, not towards people. You see, if we're not careful, our pride puts our priority towards people. We become people pleasers. We go through life trying to do things to please those around us. A husband just making sure, well, I'm just going to do everything just to please my wife. And a husband should want to please his wife. But first, a husband should want to please God. Parents should want their kids and kids should want to please mom and dad. But kids should, first of all, want to please God. And, And a pastor should want to please people. But first of all, a pastor should want to please God. And here's what Paul is doing. Hey, don't look at us as anything high and mighty. No, just remember, we're simple servants. We're simple stewards. I am a servant and a steward of God, not people. I see this morning that Paul, he's, he's writing to them, and he's trying to help them understand, hey, you're arguing, there's factionalism, there's this competitive spirit going on. Hey, get rid of that and remember who you are. Remember your responsibility. We're servants, we're stewards. Secondly, very quickly, Paul writes to them about this thought that understanding faithfulness matters. If I'm going to really deal with people and and, uh, have good relationships in this life, I've got to remember that faithfulness matters. Notice verse number two. Verse number two, we read this. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That phrase, moreover, it means furthermore. Furthermore, Paul says, what's expected in stewards is 
is faithfulness. A steward or a servant's responsibility is simply to be faithful. The word faithful there, it means to be trustworthy. Those of you that own business or have ever ran a business, think about what are some of the hardest employees to find. Faithful employees, trustworthy employees, someone that you could turn your back on, you could go on vacation for a couple of weeks, or you could uh, be in a certain meeting or out on a, a planned road work trip and come back and that person's going to be working just as hard as they were when you left. They're going to work just as hard while you're gone as they were when you were right over their shoulder. Man, in the workplace, finding a, a faithfulness, finding someone trustworthy is hard to find. You know, in this verse, what Paul writes about, he says it's not required to be brilliant. It's not required in a steward to be found uh, educated or successful. No, it's required to be faithful. Paul writes to these believers and saying, hey, quit arguing over status. Quit bickering over who is better. Quit living with a comparative, competitive spirit. Instead, remember that you're a steward and a servant of God. Just be faithful to him. Hey, just be faithful to God. How does this help us in regards to dealing with people? I think today it can help us understand that if, I'm, if I remember who I'm serving, if I remember who my allegiance is to, then I can remember that I should just have a desire to be faithful. I can remember that I don't have to be right. I don't have to be liked. I don't have to come out on top in every situation. No, I can go through each day saying, God, I just want to be faithful to you today. There's a saying out there right now that says, be true to yourself or be faithful to yourself. You know, the fact of the matter is that this world just needs people who are going to be faithful to God. People who say, God, we recognize that you are the one we serve. I remember my responsibility and I want to understand that faithfulness matters. You know, when you, when you and I stand before the Lord, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you know Christ as your Savior, these words are the words that hopefully you'll hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, in just a minute, I'd love, I'm going to show you from the Bible how you can know that heaven is where you'll spend eternity. But for those of us here that know Christ, you know you put your faith and trust in him. Listen, when you, get, when you and I get to heaven, we're not going to give an answer to anybody else. We're going to stand before God and give an account of how we stewarded our life. And I hope that God will be able to say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Hey, remember your responsibility. Understand that faithfulness matters. Number three this morning, only one, there's only one judgment to focus upon. And there's only one judgment to focus upon. Verse three through five, we won't read them for time's sake, but Paul, he says to them, hey, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. I don't even judge myself. No, there's only one judgment that counts, and that's the judgment of God. There's only one judgment that counts, and that's the judgment of God. As Paul goes through these verses, and you can take some time to study these out on your own if you like, Paul is simply saying to them, hey, it doesn't bother me when you scrutinize me or judge me. I don't really care what others think. I don't even care what I think. I judge myself, and I'm a pretty harsh judge. But I don't even care what I think. No, the only opinion that matters to me is the opinion of God. You see, whether we like to admit it or not, every single person in here cares too much 
about themselves. We care too much about ourselves and about what people think. And, and I'll be honest with you this morning, while we should, let me scroll through a few of these slides, I'm slipping, skipping. Uh, as, we, as we should care about what people think, okay, we should care about it, what people think to a certain degree, right? I mean, that's why you like brush your hair. Well, some of you. That's why you like, you know, some of you don't have it to do, you know, but Tom Loss back there, he just gets up in the morning, puts the wax on, and it's, it's good to go. Uh, you know what? There's some of us, many, many in here that will admit, you know what? I, I care about what people think about me. And that's good to a certain degree. It's not good when it becomes our motive. And did you know that a lot of people, they go through life doing what they do simply just to please those around them? They do it, they, they go through life simply because I know that, I, well, I, I just don't wanna disappoint them and they're watching and there's people and whether it's a critic or a friend trying to just go through this life just to please people. And here's what Paul writes. There's only one person I'm trying to please. I don't care about the judgment of, of you guys. I don't care about the judgment of my own heart. I don't care about the judgment, the scrutinization of those around me. No, 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 no. There's only one judge, and one day I'm going to stand before him and give an account, and that is the only one that matters. And so in these verses, Paul, in verse number five, he's going to say, listen, my goal is just to point to him. He says that this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where we'll be in a few weeks, he says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. When Paul says he that judges, he's in verse number five, he that judges me is he that evaluates me is the Lord. And when he says he's gonna evaluate or judge the counsels of the heart, he's gonna, God's gonna bring to light that phrase counsel. It means motives of the heart. You know what? One day we're gonna stand before God. We're gonna have an account of why we did what we did. Let me just pause for a minute and say this morning that there's a lot of people out there that teach that Christianity should be a bunch of do's and don'ts, that it should be a religion. You should go to church because if you don't, God will be mad. You should do this because if you don't, God will strike you down. You should do this because if you don't, then, and there's always a, a you should or punishment. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, the Bible teaches this. He loved us. I love him back. So maybe I should come to church, but I should come to church because I love him. I should want to be a great husband and a great wife. Why? Because I love the Lord. I should want to be a great parent. Why? Because I, I love the Lord. I should want to. Why? Just because I love him. It's not a guilt trip. It's not a you should or else. It's a God, I love you. And God's placed it on my heart. And I want to do that because I love you. You know what? The motive matters. And here's what Paul is saying. Hey, quit going through life. Church at Corinth, your motive is you want to boast of the goodness that's in you. I'm better than you because of this. He's saying, hey, 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 there's only one person's judgment that you need to be worried about. And that's God looking at your heart. God looking at the motives of your life. Hey, remember, remember that there's only one judgment that we should be focused upon. One man said it this way about understanding there's always gonna be critics and there's always gonna be kindness, but I should die to criticism and I should die to compliments. No, I'm not, I don't live for compliments and I don't live for criticism. No, I live for the king. 
I live for Christ. I live for one. I'm living my life for an audience of one. And as Paul writes about this, man, what a, what a great truth, dying to compliments and dying to criticism. Stop, stop living and doing what you do for everybody else's approval and start saying, God, your opinion's the only one that matters. I see this morning these thoughts that as we go through this life, we gotta remember our responsibility. I'm a servant, I'm a steward. So I should understand that faithfulness matters. Man, faithfulness to him and to him alone, recognizing that there's only one judgment to focus upon. And then lastly, this morning, we need to understand we should not be comparing ourselves with anyone else. Don't compare yourself with anyone else. Verse six and seven, Paul he said these words, and we saw it just a minute ago. He said, I have, tra- I have in a figure transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. What is he saying recently? And we don't have time to do everything. He's saying, hey, I've painted a picture for you of this thing, versus Paul versus Apollos, because you've been saying one is greater than the other. And I've used us as, as an example to tell you no one is greater than another. And then he says, I've done this for your sakes. Why? That you might learn not to think of men above that which is written. (laughs) Hey, don't put people on a pedestal. Don't think more than what God says. He says, you know what you need to know? You need to know that it is God's opinion that counts. And so quit comparing yourself with other people. Man, if we're not careful, we can be pretty comparative, can't we? Man, if we're, listen, if we're not careful, we can get so down on ourselves because we just don't measure up. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking any aspect of life. Finances, well, I don't have a new truck like he has. I must not, I, I'm just, oh, poor me. Uh, family, well, my kids don't behave like their kids. You know, my, you know, well, um, never mind, I'm not gonna go down that road. Uh, you think all these things. You know, we do it spiritually, well, I'm not, as, uh, you know, I'm not as close to God as they are because they have. Well, I, I, I look at the Christianity they have and, and I, I'm not like them. I'm not like, listen, here's what Paul is saying. Quit comparing yourselves. He would later say it this way in um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12. He says, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, you're not wise. Hey, don't be comparative. Verse seven in our chapter, you know what Paul says? If you're comparing, you're comparing things that you've received. Verse number seven, he's like, hey, any good that's in you, it's not good that you created on your own. It's good from God. Hey, everything that we have is is from God. So if you're boasting in something that you've been given, why are you boasting in that? Because you've been given it. You say, Pastor Dennis, what's Paul saying with all of these verses? I believe this morning that there's some great help in understanding that every single one of us deal with pride. Every single one of us deal with a comparative spirit. Every single one of us deal with uh, what I called one of my friends in college, the one-up guy. You know those people that just have to have something better to say? My story's better than your story. My joke's better than your joke. My... Just that one-up. If we're not careful, we can take that approach into every relationship. And you know what we do? We miss opportunity. 
You see, because the truth is this morning that God wants to use you to influence people around you. He wants to use you to, to influence those around you, to be a positive influence in them, to talk to them about the Lord. If you know the Lord, God wants to use you to help people turn to God. God wants to use you to be an encouragement. This week, listen, this coming week, God is going to want to use you to be a help in somebody else's life. But if you're all focused on you, you're gonna be a help in your own life, so you think, not their life. So what do we do? Remember our responsibility. I serve God. Be faithful to God. Stop comparing yourself with other people and understand, understand that God, God's opinion is the only one that counts. I don't know where you're at in the stage of life this morning. I don't know what influence you have, but I know that you have influence. And this week, God is gonna bring someone across your path that needs your influence. They need your encouragement. They need you to help them. They need you to be a blessing to them. So this week, I wanna challenge you this morning to say, God, help me to take my eyes off of me. Help me to take my eyes off of me and becoming better in the sight of people. And God, help me to put my eyes on you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.